Baruch atah Adonai Eloheinu melech haolam. Asher bakar bin vi'im tovim veratza vedivrehim hane emarim be'emet. Baruch atah Adonai haboker batora uv Moshe avdo uv Yisrael amo uvin vie ha'emet vazedek. Biskut Mashiach Yeshua. Amen ve'amen. Shalom ve'chag sameach. Pesach, and we are here with the Haftarah for Acharon Shel Pesach, which is the fancy Hebrew for the seventh day of Pesach. So that is coming up quick, and Hasis and I are here to share some insights. So without further ado, handing it over to my Chavi. Hi, Baruch Hashem. Uh, like I said, it's amazing, amazing time. We're in... Um we're literally in this this week, like Pesach week, and there's so much, the anniversary of so many amazing dates. This is, today, is actually the day that, that Pharaoh became aware of the escape. Uh-oh. You know, of the Israelites, B'nai Israel. And, you know, we, he was still under this impression that it was still going to be like this three-day thing. And, you know, his, his spies came back and said, nope, they're gone. <laughs> they're out of there. <laughs> um, so we're, that's what's going on today. And of course, Friday will be the seventh day of, of Pesach. Um, this is, uh, of course, the, the Red Sea split on this day. So very, very magnificent day. Um, it is a Yom Tov, so just a little sign out. Anyone has not taken off yet or maybe got their calendars mixed up, then um, make sure you do, you know, take off this Friday for that. Amen. So, public service announcement. There you go. Get you some. Uh, most businesses are very understanding, so don't let that um, stop you. Rukashim. So, yeah, they do what it takes to take off for this day and, and gain this Kedusha, because there's so much power in this week, and we have to just grab hold on every mitzvah we can and and really just absorb it. As Rebbe Griffin said, matzah crush. <laughs> <laughs> it's a crush. Instead, I like that. Instead of candy crush, just rack up on those mitzvot. Yes. <laughs> That's awesome. Okay. So, uh, this is half Torah. We're coming from Second uh, Shmuel, the Second Samuel 22, the whole, pretty much the whole chapter 22. Very, very long half Torah, Midrash, even longer, but Rukshem, it's, it's amazing. It's all David's song at the final years um, of his, uh, the final, essentially his final years. This is like after all the enemies have been defeated, there's like actually tranquility in land, which is, you know, most of David's life is just, if not all of it, according to uh, Chazal, was just constant turmoil. turmoil yeah. You know? Mm-hmm. Um, but this really goes into, really parallels the, the reading, which is, um, the, uh, like the Song of the Sea, a good part of our reading, our Torah reading for the seventh day of Pesach. And so right here, this is also Shira. And it's actually one of the ten Shirot that is is mentioned throughout throughout time. Yofi. So, you know, there's this is according to this Midrash, there's Tam Kuma and the Makilta has slight variations of it. Um, so just a little uh, disclaimer there. But the ten shrot, according to uh, the Midrash, are after Adam's sin, he composed Telim 92.1, about the, the greatness of Shabbat. Mm. Uh, the second shir was uh, 
the Bnei Israel's miraculous deliverance, uh, deliverance at the Yom Suf, which is our Torah reading for the seventh day. The third is Bnei Israel saying Shira to thank Hashem for the will of Miriam. Uh, the fourth is where Moshe sang the song Hazenu, Hazenu Secha, um, and warned the Jews not to forsake the Torah. Fifth is, is from Yeshua saying Shira when the sun and moon miraculously stood still. Uh, six, when Sisera and his army were delivered into the hands of Devorah and Barak. That was one of our half tours a while back. Um, seven, with Hana praying for a son. That's how Shmuel came about, which is whose book we're reading right now. <laughs> uh, wow. Eight is where David composed a Shira saving him from his enemies, which is actually this half tour. So we're in the eighth Shira of, of the world, of, wow. of time, if you will. Uh, ninth is King Shlomo actually composed Shira Shirin, right? Like one of the draft stories that Rabbi Griffin has has previously came out of, right? Oh. <laughs> uh, ten, the 10th year will is when the exiled Jews will be redeemed in the future and will sing a new song to Hashem. Amen, maybe soon. Amen. It will surpass all previous ones for it will praise Hashem for our eternal Yeshua, mm. our eternal salvation. Amen. And uh, this this year can also be found uh, at least referenced within Tehillim chapter eighteen. If you want to do a little side study later on, okay. but uh, before we before we move on, it's it's this concept of shear that I really want to address, and because it's mentioned in Chazino, Chazino that Hashem expressly says that song is an antidote to idolatry. Oh, nice. And so this whole concept is, is incredible because if you think about um, what Shira is, and, and according to uh, the Rashbam, um, he writes that the word Siddur Devrim Kariya Shira, putting things in order, is called Shira. And so this effectively means that not only is, is Shira a song, and not only is the song an ordering of different parts, but it's also the forming of many separate parts into one whole really and so literally by singing yes <laughs> so literally by singing we connect the seemingly the separate parts of the world as coming from one single creator Echad, and that's pro- uh, providing living testimony to hashem's oneness well the and body of mashiach much Yes, exactly. The whole separate parts coming into one. There's a beautiful, beautiful correlation. You know, like like you think this is the opposite of idolatry. You know, where you see something, all these separate images, and you you look at how it's different. Yep. How it's it's something you you like estrange it. You know, and you kind of think about what it was idol worship in in Hebrew. It's avodat zarah, which literally means strange worship. Right implying also implying a little side note that there actually is you know the, the whole but strange service implies there's actually normal service like a norm a standard <laughs> which is you know the oral torah written torah you know the halacha um so just the very fact of idol worship hints at the true form of worship wow but you really think about this is in in worshiping this is really how uh, idol worship came about. According to the Rambam, people started worshiping the, the luminaries because they're great emissaries of a shim. And so what, what really this is reflecting of 
is they were actually worship, worshiping what the emissary provided. So say, for example, you're worshiping the sun, you, you're really worshiping it for its light, what it can give to you. Mm. And so, you know, like, you know, there's, there's different, different forms of this, you know, you can do it with common land people, what, what people you can get from other people. You're really worshiping what you could take from them. Um, people do this with, uh, the Mashiach, um, you know, this whole idea of, oh, uh, we, we worship him. Why? Because he saved us. Hmm. You know, it's not necessarily worshiping because who, it's not this worship of, of Hashem. You know, it's this worship of, of this, this certain image because he saved us, right? Not necessarily for who he is, but for what he can do for us. Oh, you know, can you repeat that one more time? Because that. That's a very, like, if we do critical thinking on that, that will clear up a mm -hmm. lot of what's been going on for 2,000 years. Yes. So the whole idea of idol worship is really worshiping what is being provided for you. What's being and provided, so, not the person. Yes. And so we can't get caught up on, oh, you know, worship of, of you know, the Mashiach and put up all these crosses with images up in which is a symbol of idolatry yep. because what we're really saying is we're really idolizing that because of what's being done for us and that's that's a mentality we need to get out of yep you know and and stay away or stay away from depending on which other fence you're on you're on um because ultimately what you're doing by doing that is you're worshiping yourself oh you snap. you you like what can be provided for you and that's the reason you're worshiping this object, which is why a lot of idols are, are made in the image image of man. You know, they're different beasts and all this stuff, but it's ultimately made in the image of man. And wow. you kind of look at what you do when you look at an image, say the image of, of, a, of a bird or a lion or a man or, you know, whatever. Uh, you're essentially looking at what's different and you're you're not pulling out the the essence of that. The, the, the spark of, of holiness that Hashem gave to radiate life to that creature. You know, we mentioned before about this on a scientific level that, like, literally you look at the, the atom, 99% um, of the space in atom is empty space. It's forces that hold it together, hmm. which reflects the spiritual reality of uh, our, our true essence is, is something spiritual. And yes, we do have a physical body, but the underlying truth is that Hashem lies at the core of it, enlivening all things. And we can't get hung up on, oh, here's a separate image, here's a separate image, and looking at things as, as uh, you know, completely unrelated things, unrelated things or animals or creatures or, or life. Wow. So well, I'll just tell you that's definitely a very beautiful way to start out the podcast for sure because as we get into talking about how everything is connected in unity through song through the word of Hashem and and, and things like that when you really look at worshiping Messiah because of what he did versus who he is or what is an emblem or icon for what he did you know you think about that it pulls you away from uh, the intimate knowledge that is constantly available for us each and every day because Mashiach Yeshua is 
as simple as this may sound, he was not crucified every single day. Mm. Like, he didn't go carry his cross and get beaten, like, with a cat of nine tails, and didn't get punched, didn't stay up all night with unfair trials and all that kind of stuff. That was a one-time thing. And furthermore, it is symbolic, or actually, it is not even that. It's actually a picture of what Parsha Shimini was communicating to us with the death of Nadav and Avihu, that... Yes, this had to happen, but this is not the way it's always supposed to be. Hashem actually desires that we serve in the normal way of bringing our offering, making teshuva, davening, doing Torah, doing mitzvot, you know, things like that. Not just getting caught up in holy rapture and self-sacrifice, you know. So when you look at what's actually being talked about here with Mashiach and the cross and all that kind of stuff. It's a, it's a one-time thing, you know, just like we put the blood on the doorposts and Mitzrayim, but we don't put the blood on the doorposts every single Pesach. <laughs> we point yes. back to that. It is a remembrance, but we have a Seder now. Okay. Like, so anyway, back to you. Love it. And Seder is like an ordering, right? Ken. Just like the song, all these different parts coming in one. And so Seder night is, is in a sense, like this, this song that you're singing to Hashem. Um, I love it. But I really love what you're saying there. Um, you, you know, just kind of uh, take it back and sum this whole thing up. Like I, idolatry is like this ultimate breaking down of the world into the separate parts, focusing on the separate goods themselves. And, you know, like the ancient world, you had this whole idea of, it was reflective of having many different gods, mm. you know, not not too much different than today, you know, with other things. But um, <laughs> we'll get too much on that because we've got a long way to go. But uh, Shira is essentially one whose message is the connection of all these separate parts. And literally, this is the dichotomy of idolatry. And, and hence, it's its antidote. And I think it's very telling, too, that, you know, this is reflected within our Torah portion. You know, B'nai Israel, when, when Pharaoh's approaching them, like he sees them, like they're by this idol. They have this stopping point by this idol. Oh, my goodness. Piha right? and balls of Yes. Bone. Yes. And he takes this as this great sign, you know, wow. because Pharaoh sees it as separate things. Like, here's his sign. Here's this sign telling him what's going on, you know. But <laughs> B'nai Israel is working under the one true God who Amen. uses all these things, all these different pieces to for for own good. And literally what happens right after that, you have the, the splitting of the sea and then the drowning of the Egyptians. And you have this song that takes place. So literally you have this idolatry that's then led into song. Mm. And so you have all these separate pieces coming together as one wow and so you know really really incredible and this is actually what this whole half towards about this the shira a lot of it is literally david's songs about everything that he went through all these hard times all these difficult trials but really you know it's and and as is typical of david um he's tends to focus on the goodness of Hashem and his kindness rather than the suffering that he travails and underwent. Come on. So this whole half Torah is literally about 
him addressing all these these hard times, if you will. And but you know, when you're listening to the song, you don't really see it as a hard time. You see it as a deliverance. That's mm-hmm. how he expresses it. And this is how we we need to express the things we go go with go go um, the events that come into our lives. Amen. You know, and so as if you're, you know, going over this half tour, then, you know, just to relate it to our own life is just like, like what song is, is it's an ordering of all these separate events. And we see the unity line behind that. And so just to take our lives, really encourage us to take step backs in our life and our day um, to reflect and order the events in our life, like put an order to it, see the order and flow into it. So we could sing praises to Hashem that He's brought us to this moment now. Bezrat Hashem, may it be so. So um, we know generally most people know a lot about David. Um, so I want to actually mention this this whole idea of of the Gemara and Peskim one nineteen b, since we, it does kind of touch on the the whole idea of Shira, a song, and one song that is um, very common to us, I think, or at least. You know, in a sense, it's a song. Is the Birchat Hamazon? Oh yeah. And so Peskim one nineteen b writes that in the future Hashem will make a festive meal for the righteous. After the meal, the righteous will offer a cup to Avraham. He declines it because he feels unworthy since he fought Ishmael. Again, he offers it to Yitzhak and Yaakov and and Moshe and um, Yehoshua and. He goes through all these people, and they all decline here. They all say, you know, I'm not worthy. And then David steps up to play. He, he's, David was asked to lead Birkham Hazon, if you will. Or what so it says. He considered and responded, it is fitting for me to leave Birkham Hazon, as is stated in the Basuk in Telin, I shall lift up the cup of salvation, and I'll call out the name of God. Um, the Marial actually responds, uh, comments on this Gemara, and he says that the cup represents Midat Hadin, which is Hashem's attribute of justice, strict justice. And the name Hashem, uh, and as in where it says Adonai, is used to symbolize the Midat HaRachamim, which is Hashem's attribute of mercy. And so what Birkat, he says Birkat Hamzon represents is his, his din, his judgment, his strict justice converging into mercy. Beautiful. You know, and, and you think about this when you're saying Birka um, Hamazon, you're literally living with the words Mashiach. How so? He said, you know, I, I desire mercy, not sacrifice. That's right. And, you know, it's, it's, it's very interesting that the chos is representative. The cup is representative of of din of judgment. Because what if what does Mashiach say? It says that this cup shall pass from me. <laughs> you know, but if it's your will, he's taking on the judgment on himself. And interestingly, in the Talim, it says kos yeshuot. Right, salvation. And then it goes into Shem. So what leads what leads into the mercy of Shem is the cup of judgment that's given to Yeshua. Wow, that's a lot of transfer the din, the judgment in our lives into um, into mercy. <laughs> so let this cup pass for me is shadowed here by Yeshua giving the cup to David. Yeah, well, in a sense, I guess you could say that. It's amazing. 
<laughs> so, um, Bezrashim, we're going to touch on a little bit more about um, Birkat Hamazon um, at, towards the end of this this half Torah. Amen. All right. Um, so, uh, it mentions, you know, the, the Telim. We mentioned Telim 18 as a reference to this half Torah. That was conspo- composed with, you know, Ruach HaKodesh, but this actually was cons- composed of a higher level um, than Ruach HaKodesh. What? You know, this this half Torah. Yeah. Wow. Just a, just a slight minute mention of that um, before we go in here. Uh, uh, later says in verse um, 22.1, with the very start of, of our half Torah, Says Hashem spoke to David spoke to Hashem. David spoke to Hashem. The words of the song on the day Hashem saved him from all the hands of his enemies and from the hand of Shoal. And so, if David actually considered um, Saul equivalent to all of his enemies, mm. and you know this is mostly because he literally has like so many merits, as opposed to every other enemy of David, Saul had the most. Yeah. You know and. And Shem even rebuked him for saying this. He says, he says, Hashem was, was angry at that David cited this triumph over Saul as one of the causes inspiring his song of victory. Hashem declared, David, how dare you sing a shir about Saul's downfall? If the situation had been reversed, I would have gladly exchanged several of you for one shoal. Ooh. And, you know, it, there is... Um, Explaining this, uh, Meruri explains this in his introduction to the Telim. says that Shaul, who is not of the royal tribe of Yehuda, has lost his kingship due to slight offenses. You, David, are destined to permanent rulership, and therefore, even if you commit similar sins, I forgive you. But if you were in Saul's possession, and he in yours, I would trade in a few Davids for one of Saul. Wow. And so often we just look at Saul as like this, this criminal, you know, because of what goes on uh, later. In his life, but you know, it's important to recognize that he was this great Sadiq and he had a lot of judgments on him for little mistakes. Man, you know, but, it's like clearing his name is like clearing Kafa's name. Mm, anyway, I love that. Keep going. <laughs> but yeah, uh, David made Takun for this error uh, in Telim 7 1, where he says, you know, a mistake of David that he's saying to Hashem concerning the words of Cush, which is a reference to Shoal from the Ooh. tribe of Benjamin. Mm. You know, there's this mention in verse 2, it mentions this rock. Um, David fled to this rock. It mentions when Saul was hunting him down, um, there's this rock that that he was on and actually split apart. And and this is after an angel came and said, hey, the Philistines have attacked. And so they said, should we go after David or should we go defend our country? And the rock actually split apart and they actually went to go uh, defend the country and David's life was spared. Wow. Um, another um, aspect of this rock, there's two things. There's the word Salah in the, the verse before it that we mentioned. And then in verse 3, it mentions Suri, a different translation that's in English is both rock. But Hebrew, it's different and actually has more profound implications. Um, like Suri is, is also, um, sorry, Sur is also related to Seir, which is the designer which implies that, you know, Hashem abuses us with a soul that is part of of his essence. And it says, I will trust in you to gather in again to its place of origin under the wings of the Shekhinah. Um, 
Also, whenever Sor occurs, it actually hints the forefathers who are called Sorim rocks. And so David attributed his salvation um, and that of the Jewish people to the forefathers' merits, much like in uh, Egypt, a deliverance of Egypt. Did you just really say the forefathers are called like four rocks? Yes, Sorim. Okay, just wanted to make sure. They're called Sorim rocks. (laughs) So... Uh, what's interesting here is he actually gives Hashem 10 titles. There's rock, fortress, deliverer, God, the rock. Five is his trusted one, shield, horn, uplifter, refuge, and savior. And uh, Midrash Stites says this actually corresponds to 10 enemies God rescued him from. Saul, Doeg, Shiva, Ben Vichri, um, Shimi ben Gara, uh, Shovach, uh, the Philistine giant Goliath, Goliath's three sons. And so it's interesting that the first five um, mentioned are, are Jewish and the last five are Gentiles. Um, also, <laughs> this, this corresponds to uh, the, ten, the ten enemies correspond to, or at least remind us of the ten miracles performed in Egypt, the ten plagues. Nice. And so, uh, David's experience literally mirrored those of Ben Israel, and the words of the Shira actually allude to both of them. This is what you're going to throw out the Shira. It alludes to, on a multi-dimensional dimensional level, to the nation of Israel and a personal level. Because really, the king reflects his people. That's right. The king reflects his people, and when we think about this whole idea, and this is hinting the word Adam, like the general word for, for man. As we mentioned this before, is the acronym for um, Adam is the acronym of uh, Adam, the Dalit is David, and the Mim is Mashiach. And this is literally our, our source, is from Adam, the first man. All right? So it's fitting that David, which is a little, the, the letter Dalit in Adam's name, according to uh, the, the rabbis, would be an embodiment of the people. And it's also it also makes sense that Mashiach would be an embodiment of the people. Wow. As well. Um, so it goes back to what you're saying. Learn Hebrew, it takes you to a whole new uh, level. Anyone can start at any time. That's right. Uh, verse 4, it, it, sends, it asks this question, After entreating the Shem for help, I will be saved. Why after praising him? And it mentions there is a principle that one must laud the Almighty before asking for his assistance, a rule we adhere to as well in our daily Shimon Ezra prayer. And literally, you're like, why? It mentions when a person does this, um, he attaches himself to a shin by, by lauding him and praising him. Wow. Verses 5 through 7. Really, they talk about the way the waves of death, the chains of the grave, and my distress. You know, all, all these things. There's these four um, things that are mentioned. These four occasions that they represent the four occasions in which David's life was threatened by Saul. Remember, he was he was his primary. They referred him as his primary enemy, mm-hmm. if you will. Mm-hmm. It says the waves of death surround me. This is when, like Saul, pursued David and David's wife. Uh, Nahal let her husband out the window in the middle of the night, <laughs> and literally David fled to Ramah, and Hashem miraculously saved David's life by causing the spirit of prophecy to descend upon all the messengers, and even eventually Saul himself, 
And so they're literally all powerless on David's hands. So they they was literally surrounded by waves of death. All these people mm. who were rendered powerless by, you know, giving them a, this prophetic spirit. Uh, two, the streams of wicked men frighten me. David actually, this is where David attained food and a sword. It was also assumed to be the, the told to be the sword of Goliath. Um, from the Kohen Gadol, uh, I'm Avich, uh, Akimelech, mm-hmm. and Nov. And so this is where uh, Doeg actually incited Saul to kill all the Kohenim, you know, because they helped David. Yikes. So, not a good move. Um, three, the change of the grave encircled me. This refers to when Saul's men encircled David by a rock, who mentioned that earlier where the rock broke apart, the Philistines attacked, and so they left David. And the fourth one, the death of traps were set before me. This is a reference to where David was in a cave, or David in a cave, and Saul came in. This is the part where he actually cuts off a corner of his garment. Um, so this is uh, that expression, what that means on his personal level. But as we mentioned before, Shear is to be understood on a dual level, not just his personal level for King David, but the Jewish people's history as well. And so you also have it representing the four exiles of B'nai Israel. Oh. The waves, the waves of death are the Babylonian exile, the streams of wicked men, media, uh, the chains of the grave is Yavin, Greece, uh, for the death traps were set before me, this is Edom. And you'll, you'll notice that in the first one that referenced the ways and Babel, that references Babylonia, and the fourth one, the death traps, which references Edom or Rome, it mentions the death. And yeah. this is because the Beit HaMikdash was destroyed and masses of Jews were killed in both these uh, exiles. And that was a ninja throwdown. <laughs> yes. <laughs> wow. And it continues. But wait, there's more. No. There's more. <laughs> uh, yeah, so in my distress, I called to Hashem in Babel. Uh, he asked him to reverse the Kul Hashem that ensued because of the destruction of the Beit HaMikdash. And it says he cried out to my God. This is referencing what David's saying. Um, he cried out to my God in where? In media. He was aware more deeply that he is my God because God overthrew the Babylonian Empire and avenged his humiliation. This is also where Haman was, you know, punished as well. Uh, three, he listened to my voice from his sanctuary. This is in, in Yavin during the period of exile. The Behemikdash was in existence. So he listened to my voice from his sanctuary because mm. it existed and it was redeemed. That's right. I'm the Hasmoneans in Hanukkah. And four, he entreated, his entreaty reached my, his ears and Edom. And so during the exile, there have been many, this exile, there have been many government edicts outlining the practice of Judaism, and Jews have often praised in suppressed tones, so they should not be overheard by others. Only God heard. That's why it says his entreaty reached his ears. Just um, like the Shemonei Esri. Yeah, so we pray, like, silently. Yep, we pray um, silently, then the Chazan just lights it up with the Shira Chadol. <laughs> yes. You know, um, you think, oh, that's 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 old news, though. That's Roman times. But, you know, it should be noted that until recently, you know, Jews in Russia were forbidden to worship God openly. Wow. You know, and you look at all the craziness that's going on in, in, in Europe as far as persecution of, of, of our brothers and sisters, the Jewish nation, you know, it's just... You know, the Edomite exile is very, very clear. Man. 
Well, it's interesting that the Edomite exile is the one where the phrase death traps are used. Since I can't tell you how many traps that exist in the world today for us, from the media and entertainment to sports and amusement and all kind of leisure activities and technology. Mm-hmm. And the cool thing is, is in and of themselves, those entities aren't bad, but it's how we use them. Yes. Yeah. You know, that's, that's true. Um, and look at investing like a whole bunch of time in, into different things. Like, like I'm talking about, you know, nothing, it's not a sin or anything, you know, but you, you kind of think about that as investing a whole bunch of your time all the time in like movies uh, video games, little apps or games, or yep. you know, uh, social media. What you're doing is you're entering into a false reality, and if that's where all of your time is going, most of the time, you know, all the time or most of the time, then you know that's really not too much different than idolatry, which is a false image, right? It's this false reality of existence, wow. a false expression of existence, and so that's what you don't get trapped in. Like what Amit's saying here, don't get trapped in these pitfalls. The death traps of social media, uh, TV, video games. Like I said, it's not not necessarily sin, you know. But to invest all your time, all the time, is you know that's a death trap for your for your soul. Right, and it's so interesting too because they literally call it like the vortex. It's like if you're on YouTube, it's called yeah. the YouTube vortex or the Facebook wow. vortex. So yeah, it's called programming too. It used to be what it's called. Programmed you. <laughs> wow. Programs your way of thinking. Good night. You know, um, but yes. So uh, very on to verse eight uh, mentions that the, the earth literally quaked and shook. Um, says the earth quaked and shook. Supports the heaven. The supports of the heavens quivered. They shook because he was angry. And David's alluding to things his purpose, purpose, his personal life. Uh, where the earth literally quaked and shook. Um, when his general. Abishai heard his assistance, his assistance to overcome the mighty giant Yishvi. Mm. Um, also, the history of the Jewish people, the earth shook of the giving of the Torah when the Gentiles nations were offered that heavenly treasure and would not accept it. Man. And according to a different view, the earth quaked because there's this cosmic upheaval caused by the ten plagues in Egypt. And it, it, the pursuit continues, the verse continues, they shook because he was angry. What caused the divine wrath, you might ask? Hashem was angry at the nations for declining his offer to accept the Torah. Yeah. At the nations. <laughs> um, later, it mentions that God's wrath at the nations of the world um, for refusing to accept the Torah as well. This is in commentary to verse 9. And smoke went up his nostrils. And, uh, you know, you just think about that. You know, there's this whole concept that Torah is just for um Jewish people and I mean I would I would agree to that. But right. what's what's meant is the nations would, would come in to mm. the covenant. Yes, conversion. Yes. And so <laughs> you know the hint of there is it doesn't say he was he was angry because they didn't accept Noah laws. You know? <laughs> no, don't get me wrong, if if the world just did the Noah laws, you know, we'd be in an amazing place right Man, now. Come on for real. <laughs> you know, but you know it's especially when, like Rabbi Griffin's pointed out several times, especially when you believe in Mashiach, it puts you at a, a higher level, you know. Um, especially right. when you look at yourself as you coming into covenant is literally redeeming his image as a, 
as a uh, Gentile who did away with the law. Come on. You're redeeming this image of him as an idolater when you become Jewish and you keep the commandments. Wow. Uh, so let this be a motivation for us to grow in our observance um, that we be to a Kedusha Shem and redeem Mashiach's image. Amen. Interestingly, um, it, it mentions this whole idea of earthquakes. We're talking about shaking ground. Earthquakes in general are an indication of heavenly displeasure. Oh. And there's this wonderful story, wonderful story with the prophet Eliyahu asking Rav Nohari uh, that why Hashem brings earthquakes. And so the sage thinks it's because of sins that we did with the ground, so the ground's upset, right? There's a, there's a lacking in the ground, if you will, that's causing it to react to, due to our sins. And Eliyahu says, yes, you're correct, but that's not the most fundamental reason. That's not the primary reason. And literally mentions that, you know, Hashem is, is, is filled with wrath um, when he sees the theaters and circuses filled with Gentiles amuse himself while the Bay of Mikdash lines in ruins and his sons are grieving. And so he wishes to destroy the world and therefore he shakes it up. Um, so earthquakes, the Midrash also goes on to comment, are an indication of Hashem's grief for the destruction of the Beit HaMikdash, wow. whose state mirrors that of the spiritual Beit HaMikdash above. They are meant to arouse, um, the earthquakes are meant to arouse B'nai Israel to help rectify the situation. So just kind of rewinding here, earthquakes are an indication of Hashem's grief for the destruction of the Beit HaMikdash. What happened at Yeshua's execution? Earthquake. Earthquake. Right? Like he said, tear down this temple. Right? The destruction of the temple took place, and there was an earthquake symbolized Hashem's grief that the temple was destroyed. Wow. And what what was the cause of this? Why why does this have to happen? It says the earthquakes are meant to arouse B'nai Israel to help rectify the situation. And if you go on reading, it mentions that many believe after that. Yeah, they were roused to the shuva. Even those Roman soldiers that were up there with him. Yes, there's, there's the nations. They're making this this whole tikkun in that moment. Wow. It's uh, really interesting. This next this next part mentions uh, in verses ten and eleven mentions that Hashem wrote upon. Uh, Karuv, a cherub, and flew. He appeared upon the wings of the wind. Mm, manifestation alert. <laughs> you want to go for it? You want to shoot something down real quick? Uh, no, I was just saying that. Like, as we're going through this, just thinking in the backdrop of this is Hashem manifesting. I mean, you know, you so. know there's, a, there's a whole section about that. Hashem appearing in the forms of, of a man, a you know, prayer leader, old man. And many others in the Midrash Shabbat Get you some. as well. And that's cited from uh, Talmud and, and different sources. Um, but a little side note, swear. But going back, it says Hashem is described here as riding on a kruv after, um, missed that, yes, yes, um, sorry, after the redeeming of Egypt. And so why is this? And so the Midrash explains with a parable. A king was once informed of oh, story time. Story time. Come on. A king was once informed of alarming news. His son had been captured by enemies. 
The servants immediately harnessed his chariot for the pursuit of the king, and Paisley exclaimed, I need but only one single horse. Time is too precious. I cannot afford to wait until the chariot will be ready when my son's life is in danger. He jumped upon the horse and rode away to save the captured prince. Similarly, after uh, Yesiyat Nisraim, Hashem took one crew of his heavenly throne and rode upon it to wage war against the Egyptians. And it goes on, what it, the, asked this question, what's the significance of this Midrash? <laughs> um, and, you know, the, this whole idea of the heavenly chariots and weapons, which assist B'nai Israel, are their merits. Oh. And Midrash goes on to say that Hashem, as the man of war, rescues them through their spiritual achievements. Come on. And so literally after the, you know, after the exodus, the angels harness the chariot. They propose all these various merits, which B'nai Israel deserved to be saved, wow. such as the forefathers, or they kept their identity. But all these were insufficient because the Jews served idols, and they sank to such a low spiritual level, as we say, you know, in the Haggadah, we're all idol worshippers, you know. Um, but it mentions that Hashem quickly seized the Karuv, he decided to assist B'nai Israel in the merit of their small children who were pure from sin. Come on. Which is symbolized by a kruv, a cherub, because they represent a, a child. Man. And so, you know, this isn't the only time Hashem pulls a child aside and says, you know, this is how you're going to enter the kingdom of heaven. Oh, come on, man. Oh, my goodness. You literally have... In reference to Matthew 18, 1-5, Mark 9, 33, 10-15, Luke 9, 46, 48, 18-17, when he pulls this child and says, unless you, you know, and, and Matthew says, it mentions the idea of humbleness, unless you have the humility of this child, you know, approach with the humility of this child. I'm just probably pulled up, actually. That is the source get you some right there. I love it. So I want to elaborate on this idea a little, little bit more, um, but it mentions, and, oh, oh, yeah. oh, okay, I was on the back page. Oh, okay. And when they came to Capernaum, this is in, I'm oh, sorry, this is in Matthew 18, 1, 9, and at the time disciples came to Yeshua saying, who is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven? And calling to a child, he put them in the midst of them. He said, truly I say to you, unless you turn and become like children, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. Whoever humbles himself like this child, he is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. Who receives one such child in my name receives me. Um, it's, it's interesting. There's this uh, rabbinic commentary to um, this, this basura. And he mentions that to be a child is to be innocent, not to be humble. The formal can maybe be illustrated in the rabbinic literature, but not the, not the later. And we're actually going to prove this wrong from this half Torah. Wow. See, because to be a child is also in reference to humility. Um, and, uh, but I will we'll cite the, the whole idea of making oneself small and humble. Uh, mentions in, in Gemara that he who makes himself small in this world for the sake of the Torah will be great in the world to come. He who makes himself a slave in this world for the sake of the Torah will be free in the world to come. And so you think about making yourself small, like what is small? A child. You know? Wow. But this whole idea of a child is actually in reference to humility because later in the half Torah, 
David mentions about how he be, did not become arrogant. I think this page. Still blowing up hummets. <laughs> you gotta blow up that hummets. Yep. You know, this is the week to do it. Right. Okay, so, and it, it mentions this and reference minutes actually talks about this in verses like 22, 21 to 25. Then the Midrash comments of Telim 13, or sorry, Telim 131, verses 1 and 2. It says, Hashem, David said about himself, uh, my heart did not become arrogant. When Shaul anointed me, my eyes were not haughty. So it mentions arrogant, not becoming arrogant. It mentions the eyes not becoming haughty. And it mentions I, when he killed Goliath. It says, I walked neither with pride when I brought the arm to Jerusalem, nor with glory when I was restored to my throne. So it's mentioned arrogant. It's mentioned haughtiness. It's mentioned pride. It mentioned glory. And then here's the final, the final verse on that. It says, rather, I feel like a newborn babe who is helpless and totally dependent on his mother. Hmm. So according to the Tehillim, which actually is where many of our halakha is derived from, uh, it, humility is directly associated with a child, just like innocence is. Wow. And so when you think about, and this is so important because we're talking about the Omer, we're literally going through our madot, our character, and we're finding that the ultimate foundation madot is humility. And so literally when we're becoming humble, we're being born again into little children and our innocence is being regained. Wow. The two are so interconnected. And so, you know, there are, there are certain comment uh, commentaries to the Bastora, um, uh, rabbinic commentaries out there. But again, you, you have to filter because some of what they say is, is not always a hundred percent revealing, if you will. Mm-hmm. You know, and so you can't just go off one thing you, you read or one thing you hear a rabbi say on, on YouTube or whatever and just lose faith in the Mashiach and lose faith in, in his words, teaching. That's right. Because there's always a level that they haven't uncovered or are refusing to uncover. <laughs> and the reasons could be good because they really only know of Christianity right. and which leads people to away from the Torah. Which is, you know, in, in my book, you know, and in Mashiach's words, worse than not proclaiming his name as, as, as Messiah. Because you literally think about it, when they say, and they come up to him and it says, uh, he says, I did many great works in your names. I cast out demons, this and this and this. He says, I never knew you workers of lawlessness. You workers of, like, non-Torahness, if you, if you want to quote that. Right. So, if, you know, what, what's the better case? It's, it's better to walk like Mashiach walked than actually know his, his um, physical name. Wow. You know, walking like him is going <laughs> to refine you more than actually saying, oh, I know his, his name. I believe he's, he's the Messiah. You know? Wow. Um, so I'm not, not saying don't believe in Yeshua. I'm not, not advocating for that, of course. Um, but I'm just saying, you know, we shouldn't look down on, on our Jewish brothers because they don't believe in Yeshua as a Mashiach because they're walking like him. That's and that's right. something to keep in mind, to keep us humble, keep us like little children. May as a Mashiach tag? says to approach him. Yes. Uh, just really quick on that. You'll know that someone is leading you away from Mashiach when they start 
making him into an idol, i.e. by separating him out, i.e. things like he's not the Pesach lamb, or Yeshua didn't fulfill all the prophecies, or he wasn't a kosher Jew, or something like that. So the more Mashiach is separated up, uh, the more he's taken away from being Echad, that's how you know that you're falling away from Mashiach, and that's how you know your teaching is leading you away. So what Hasis is saying here is about how we have to understand that, yes, Mashiach Yeshua, like that is his name, but that is never to be separated from who he is and how he lives. And the beautiful thing about us being Torah observant in Mashiach, centered in Messiah Yeshua, like we get to have all of that together and the greater Jewish community that does observe the written and the oral Torah and believes in Mashiach, guess what? They're on the same playing field as us. They just are not aware of the revelation of Mashiach to an extent like we are. Which is not, yes. again, that's not a knock, but that is also to show us that, hey, they can't be blamed for something that they haven't been introduced to. And again, it's a Shem's doing that there is a partial blindness upon the, the Kalal Yisrael currently until all the divine sparks are gathered and then it will be lifted. And then when they realize everything it's going to be like okay now we can start the olam haba dead are going to raise temple's going to be built michelle's going to return all sorts of good stuff so just want to throw that out there love it man thank you for the the clarification that you're bringing down like a show you know um also mentions while we're talking about this whole idea of of purity you know and innocence of a little child you know, and relating that to Torah and, and following Mashiach in, in that sense. Um, mentions, you know, later if you skip over into verse 31, says the Almighty, his way is perfect to requite each one as he deserves. Hashem's saying is pure. He is a shield for all who trust in him. Hashem's saying refers to his promises, which he always fulfills. And, and in a broader sense, it also alludes to the Torah, which is described as pure since it purifies those who studied it. Oh. And I just want to want to kind of elucidate this point because it mentions that the Torah is called pure. Why? Why? Because because of because of who how great it is how great it is. No, it's 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 pure because it purifies those who studies it. It qualifies why the Torah is pure, and. <laughs> You know, what, what they say, what, what um, Belsham Toes bring down says, this is Torah man. You know, we have uh, 248 positive uh, commandments, you know, and the rest of the commandments are negative commandments correspond to the, you know, correspond to the, the whole limbs in a human body. You know, so the whole idea of the Torah, it's we're meant to reflect the Torah. And so you have like the whole idea of, of Torah is not just just great because it's Torah. I mean, it is, but the qualification that it's teaching us is Torah is great because it purifies others. And so this is to say something back to to us on a personal level. And this is actually what Yeshua, the living Torah, actually tells his Talmudim back in these verses we cited about about coming to him as as a child. 
right? right? Because what was the whole argument before that? It was the argument of who's greater. I'm great. Who I want to be the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. Who's going to be the greatest in the kingdom of heaven? <laughs> They're focused on themselves. He said, whoa, 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 whoa. You got to come to me with, with a childlike humility. Stop focusing on yourself. That's arrogance. That's ego. Focus on others. The, the Torah's greatness comes from its ability to purify existence, to restore, to recreate this fallen world. This is, this is like, I'm gonna, and I'm going to show you my greatness. And you will see my greatness when I come to purify the world. When, I, when I'm going to literally lay down my life for the, the sins of the world and, and redeem and purify it on this, this whole spiritual subatomic level. And it says, you have to be like this. And this is also what's, what's related to in this, this Midrash, right? You have Hashem riding upon a hoof, riding upon a little child. Mm-hmm. Right? And so it, it, it mentions, you know, the, the, the mitzvah of the children gave this merit to the whole community, allowing Hashem to come and redeem them. That's right. And so you think about um, just this idea like our our merits are not just for us you know and this is alluded to in our shimona ezra prayer like we're not just praying for us it's not give me give me i i i i it's is you know all of israel we us yes and so literally you think about this whole idea of a shim riding on a child like like coming like we need to approach it with the idea of being a child being humble like a child being innocent like a child why because the the whole idea of, of purity is this essence of being able to purify others, allowing our merits to cover the nation and cover our brothers and cover our, our shul. You know, um, it's this idea that you know if you if you see a problem, then it's not necessarily meant for you to point it out. Ooh. Okay, that's that's not that's not the point. If you see a problem, then you you have you have the solution. And you, you may be doing something right, whether it's within halacha or certain mitzvah or whatever, but you can actually use that to bring that forth before Shin and, and cover your brothers. And in the meantime, pray that they would be redeemed, that they would be elevated in that area. It's not meant for you to say, hey, you don't do this, I'm out. Wow. You know? That's not what it's meant for. Like, this, is, this is what the Midrash is saying. We have to use these merits. That's what Yeshua is saying. It was come to me as a child. Come, come to, come to me, as as the, the children came to to Hashem, allowing their merits to rise up to heaven, so he could come down on a kruv, which is also a cherub, which is also a name for Mashiach. Okay, the Zohar actually <laughs> qualifies that. The, the truth cherubim the Ark of Mashiach when Yosef Mashiach with David. So it. here you have the Mashiach coming down to redeem Israel because of the merits of these children. Okay? So that's the whole idea of humil- humility. And one of the foundations of humility is uh, seeing the good in people, judging everybody favorably. You know? Like not thinking yourself higher than other people. When you do that, you no longer see the, the people's sins and their errors and try to point it out, poke it out. You, you see a way to cover them. There's also embodied in the sons of Noah, you know, and and in the the Basura it mentions love covers a multitude of sins. Well it's also referenced in Noah where, you know, you had one brother who pointed out and you have the other two 
who walked backwards and covered their father's nakedness with a garment. What is the garment related to? It's related to a mitzvah. They saw their father lacking a mitzvah, and what do they do? They walked backwards and they covered him. Man. And so this is this is this whole idea. And so as we're counting the the omer during this period, we're cleansing ourselves of this adult, we help us refine ourselves. And this whole week of Pesach is the is Shebe uh, Chesed. It's of of Chesed of kindness of the ability to give. That's right. You know, we need to be able to give to others. You know, the merit of our mitzvah to to cover them, and we need to give to others the build our, our prayer as a covering and as a awakening power to. You know, in, in whatever we see lacking in our in our community or in in the world or, or what have you. Well, may I hashtag uh, tag this <laughs> to what you just yes. elucidated? Because everything that you said really expounds upon what Shaul, the distinguished gentleman, was really talking about when he wrote to the the congregation in Philippi in chapter two verses 6 through 13. And so I love how you brought that down. But here's the key verses from that. For God is the one working among you, both the willing and the working for what pleases him. Do everything without kvetching so that you may be blameless and pure children of Hashem without defect in the midst of a twisted and perverted generation among whom you shine like stars in the sky as you hold on the word of life. If you do this, if you do this, now Shaul is going back to saying, if you're doing all this, if you're covering each other, I will be able to boast. That is our timer. I rebuke it. <laughs> rebuke. <laughs> uh, it says, as you do this, I'll be able to boast when the day of Mashiach comes that I did not run or toil for nothing. Which if you think about the source of what he's talking about boasting about, he's boasting in the fact that he spread himself over these lapidim over here in Philippi. He poured out his life to them. He poured out teachings orally and written to them. He walked among them. You know, he really prayed for them. And so the fact that he's asking them to do the same thing for one another, which all flows out of the picture of what Mashiach did for us as a Kehila as well, is just absolutely incredible. So you are so right about everything that you said. So amazing. And that is just the expanded version of <laughs> these few verses here. <laughs> amazing. It doesn't sound like Paul converted to Christianity to me. Uh, if he you did, know. he did a horrible job. Because Christianity says, okay, well, we'll, we'll tell you the, the message, but if you don't believe, you're damned. Right. Forever. <laughs> Sorry, <laughs> we, don't have, we don't have a source for that, but, right. you know. Yeah. And so that's, that's Judaism is the opposite. It's about covering one another, you know. Mm. Um, and just... If if I may, and just talk about this this whole idea of accruing merits for others, you know, Ron Kral writes about this as in the Derech Hashem, um, this whole process of when we elevate ourselves, the world is elevated through through our mitzvahs, 
Wow. And it gives this example of someone eats bread to give himself energy to study Torah or to perform a mitzvah. The bread is brought into the realm of Kadusha. And as such, it becomes elevated by assisting the person in his avadah. Furthermore, the ingredients used to make the bread, the land which produced those ingredients, the tools used to turn the ingredients into bread, the tool used to create those tools, etc., all become elevated for the role in helping this person get closer to perfection. And, you know, I just thought I was reading this, I brought up the side, how much more so for people? <laughs> it, I mean, you think about it, if, if you lead people into a right Torah living, into a Torah lifestyle, and if, if the bread and the tools and the land and all that is blessed because of the process of something that was used for a mitzvah, how much more for someone who's, for someone who's led another to, um, to a, a mitzvah or to a tikkun. And this is why they say, you know, if you've, you've committed many sins, the greatest tikkun you could do is to, uh, whatever sin that was, you encourage others to, uh, you teach others the right way to correct that sin and you lead them away from that sin and show them how to, uh, correct it and you teach them about it and this wow. brings a tachun for yourself and like this whole repair for yourself um is that okay if i read this story time where we're talking about this whole idea about cru- accruing merits for others absolutely man okay get you so some. this is from i just want to you know uh shameless plug here but the um living <laughs> living each day by rabbi abraham Tversky. If you're looking for a daily book, it's like that's like a five-minute read. It goes by the days of the month, so um, it, you can get used to the Jewish calendar. It mentions usually a section from the prayers at the beginning, and then at the, the second part of the page, it mentions something new from scriptures or from the sages. How do you spell it? And it kind of elaborates on that. Uh, Tversky, it's T-W-E-R-S-K-I. Okay, cool. So, Told our very, So... Very excellent, excellent work. Um, but he has this wonderful story here um, this, on the 15th of Nisan, okay? And uh, he says, he quotes on the verse, Who is like your nation, like Israel, unique people on earth? Second Samuel 7.23. And he goes on, he quotes this story about the rabbi of uh, Berdachev. says, during the period when Russia and Turkey were at war, um, this rabbi asked his townspeople to bring him some Turkish tobacco. <laughs> says, but, but rabbi, they argued, that is contraband. Mm-hmm. Possession of any Turkish merchandise is punishable by imprisonment, even death. Oh, did I say story time? <laughs> story time it is. Story <laughs> okay. time we do. Sorry. Story time we go, 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 oh. Awesome. That's, that's the, the time rab- for uh, forgetting to say story time. Okay. Okay. Yes, I, I get the picture. No, <laughs> oh, wow. I'm. I'm. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. You know, I forgot to say uh, it earlier. No, it's, it's cool. <laughs> it's my bad. Okay, so continue on. The rabbi insisted, and before long, some Turkish tobacco was brought. He then asked for some Turkish wool. Again, the people protested that it was not to be had. Again, the rabbi insisted, and again, some was found. Now, bring me a piece of bread from a Jewish household. The rabbi said, after hours of search, the people returned empty handed. The rabbi raised his hands in prayer. Dear God, do your people not deserve better than you have treated them? Here stands the Tsar with his armies and police. Those who violate his law can be shot on sight. Yet I could get Turkish contraband from people who defied the Tsar's edict. 
But although you have no armies and no police and do not threaten imminent punishment, your decrees are faithfully observed. Not a single piece of bread is to be found in any Jewish household this week of, of Pesach, Chag Matzot. Who else is like your people of God? Their devotion merits better treatment. Come on. So this is really a, a beautiful story. Um, they say one way to increase Amuna and faith is, is the telling of the stories and remembering and remembering Torah uh, commandments and ideals is by telling those stories. How will they believe and, if they have not heard? Really? Is that what we're doing? Right yes. Now? Yes. <laughs> you know, maybe why, why parables was also used to engrave into the people yeah. um, these stories. But I, I think there's there's these two perspectives that kind of go on here. And I'll just go to the rabbi's perspective for once, and because that's what we've been doing, uh, that's what we've been highlighting, accruing merits for other people. You know, here you have this person who has such authority, and, you know, he, he tells them to do all this stuff that could be dangerous to their lives, right? But he's wielding his power uh, very intensely for the betterment of others. And you kind of think of like, like Yosef, even though the brothers didn't understand why this, this Pharaoh was putting them through so much turmoil. Yosef was actually redeeming his brothers from all their little sins that they did when they sold him. Wow. Um, so he's acting just like Yosef. And he's literally, then he takes those merits of all these others before God, and he arouses Hashem's, his brach, his blessing by doing so. Man. And so, uh, you know, we have, we have different parts of us and different stages of our lives when we act as, you know, leaders and people, when we act as leaders and we take the initiative, this is how it's to be done. We wield our power very intentionally for others and to bring before Shem the merits of others because no father wants to hear about how his, uh, wants to hear someone bad-mouthing his children. Come on now. You know, so again, don't point the flaw. Don't be like, you know, don't be like Ham. You know, and, and, and Canaan, who pointed out the flaw of, of Noah, be like the other brothers. Um, there's also the other perspective from the people's perspective, and this is you know, when, when we don't understand why we're going through all these trials like David, all this happens about David's trials, but he, he puts a, a, a good spin on it. But during that moment, you know it was hard for him, like it is for us. Right. And, you know, the people's perspective, when this rabbi's telling them to get contraband, you know, kind of brings this idea that, that sometimes we're asked to do strange things, <laughs> things we really don't understand, things we are put through or things that we put through that will endanger our very lives or shake up our very existence and belief to the core. The very traumatic events we may go through in our lives, hard times, you know, um, you could use your imagination and, and reflect it to your own, own life, you will, uh, different trials, um, daily struggles, you know, hardships. But all this, all this is used to accrue merits for ourselves. Amen. So when Hashem puts us through all these problems, you know, it's it's not this necessary just, just a punishment. When he punishes us, if you want to think of it like that, you know, I think that's kind of unhealthy. You know, it's meant for us to grow, to grow out of that discipline, you know. And we're, we say, hey, why are we put this hard time, you know? Well, just like these people with the rabbi telling them to go get this, go get this, you know, um, it was really to accrue merit for them, even though they saw it as something endangering their lives or their well-being, you know, their stress levels. Yeah. Uh, it was literally to acquire merit for them. And so just encouragement for us that 
if we find ourselves like David going through all these struggles, like we don't need to see them as all these separate untied events, as all these separate causes of, of pains and strange things in our life, right? Because we see it as if we see all these trials and tribulations as as problems, burdens, and as as God hates us, shalom, then in our service to Him, it's going to be a strange service. It's going to be an avadazarah. It's going to be idol worship. Wow. Right. We need to see the unity in it. We need to sing a, a new ta- song to Hashem and say, hey, all this is for us to acquire merits. So let's acquire much merits. So let's push through this. This is the only time we have. This world right now is the only time we have to serve God through the pain, through the suffering, um, through all these difficult times, through confusion. When Mashiach comes, we're not going to have that. We're not going to have that opportunity to show God how much we love Him by persevering through the struggles. <laughs> you know, by doing mitzvahs when it hurts. Like, you know, Rabbi Griffin has often mentioned, you know, it's real when, you know, you, you, you don't want to do the mitzvah, but you still do it. That's like, right. when it's hard to do it, you still do it. Right? And and if I may, may add, you know, put a smile on your face. Even if, right. even if you got to force it at first. That's right. Because joy, simcha, is literally the opposite of arrogance. Mm-hmm. Mm-mm. You know, and so you know, I believe if we have this healthy perspective, we could literally have this joy in serving Hashem, even though it's hard, just like David. Amen. And and this year. Well, that was well, a very beautiful ending to the massive, amazing insights. So, first of all, may Hashem bless you so much for sharing all of that with us, and definitely encouraging us and giving us. New artillery to take with us as we cross over the Yom Suf coming up. Amen. Amen. So, Toda Rabbah. Uh, just for practical takeaways, um, I would like to go first this time, if that's okay. Yeah, of course. Go for it. Um, what I love about everything that you brought down from the insights and the beautiful elucidations to the insights is how there is a new way for us to see. You really, you it's like you you threw out a light bomb of some sort that was just kind of insane. Like, I didn't even know where you got that from. But with a name like Hasis, obviously that's going to happen. Because you, you know your name is like what happens when lightning strikes, right? <laughs> that's literally what Hasis is. Like, it is as violent as it sounds to pronounce. So I digress, but here we go. So what what we were able to see is that when we get to a place of being able to instead of point out and say, what's wrong with you and be like, what can I do mental wise to cover my my brother or my sister or anyone in my Mishpaka? What can I do to cover them? And furthermore, Ultimately, going over that, opening up your mouth to dive into Hashem for insight on how to cover them or praying for them to be able to triumph through whatever they're going against. You know, uh, I talked earlier this week in podcasting about the Kol Yaakov, the voice of Yaakov, is Torah study and prayer. And we're entering into that at that moment. And one of the things that we immediately do, no matter what it is, just open our mouth to Hashem and be like, you know what, Hashem, 
you know, and start finding the beautiful things about your mishpaka and start finding out the beautiful things about the situation and start speaking those out and start really interceding, you know. And so I love that you bring that down because that is such a beautiful way to um, elevate the song, if you will, because everything that we do as followers of Hashem, we're singing, you know, that's why yes. we go, Baruch Atah Adonai, Eloheinu Melech HaOlam. Like we sing our brakas, you know, we sing after we eat, we sing before we eat, you know, we, some of us sing while we eat, you know. <laughs> but, uh, you know right? And so, you know, there's this idea of how to keep, keep the unity because, again, this unity is the goal of keeping us in exile it's the goal of bringing destruction and horribleness to creation and the world to literally destroying the world and so the more and more we can sing the more notes we can put in tune you know literally is uh is the goal and the final thing i would like to say is it this is like the most epic way to prepare ourselves for mashiach's return because when Mashiach returns, we don't want to be in a position of like standing still, looking up at the sky at a certain time during the Zamanim, being like, okay, I think I think I heard something. Okay, here we go. No, that's not how you do it. The way you do it is you're out there working, you know, kind of like the when you went to camp and, you know, they rang the dinner bell and you're like, oh, okay, put everything down. Here we go. You know, it's like that. You know, so we're out here doing mitzvot. Uh, one of the biggest things we can do is study everything about the temple service. Learn what the ephah is. Learn what the heen is. Learn about the different korbanot that you are allowed to bring and not allowed to bring. What does this blemish look like? What's the shekita blade? You know, um, and every, anything you can learn about all of that. Learning the ins and out of the parashot. Learning how all of the insights connect together. Learning how Mashiach Yeshua being the essence of Hashem, how does that work as we flow out that into who we are and what we do, you know, and uh, what we what we aspire to do as well. So that's like the the most ultimate thing that we can do. And I want to shamelessly plug our very own rabbi, Captain Yisrael threw down the gauntlet today, literally uh, day four of the Pesach um, Aliyot. He dropped out the gauntlet of every single person in our Mishpaka giving their tithe. Give at least 10% if you don't give more. So obviously that's a whole lot of get you some, but again, if you want to be a, in a position of prepping for the return of Mashiach, you got to start there. Because the, the biggest thing about understanding what we're involved in and who we are as Yehudim is everything is not what it seems. In order for us to fight and win battles, it's not that we got to, you know, get all these guns and learn all this martial arts. It's like, no, how are you doing on your mitzvah keeping? How are you doing on your personal connection with Hashem? How are you doing in your meditation, thought, and prayer life? How are you doing on your musar? How are you doing in paying your tithe? You know, how's your self-sacrifice yes. going? That right there, that's the army of God. So just want to leave it at that. 
And thank you for bringing that out and allowing at least me. I'm just going to be real selfish and greedy for a second and say I was allowed to see that. So I really thank you and I bless Hashem so much for eyes to see and Burger Shem. man. for you. Amazing, amazing insights, you know. And, you know, just to the, you know, you, you missed this whole idea of, of, of tithing, this whole idea of, and, you know, I, I agree 110%. And when you, when you do a mitzvah, you want to do it in the ideal state. Mm. And, you know, reading different commentaries in the Sador, um, and different readings and books of Sadaka and, and tithing, the ideal, ideal state to give, give tithes and Sadaka yeah. is on Friday before Shabbat. Oh. <laughs> so you're literally coming what? into the day of rest with this charity, with your tithes. And so the best time to the way to prove more, more, the most mitzvah and the most Kedoshah for, for tithing is to do it before Shabbat on Friday. Mm. And so just to elevate that mitzvah and to step it up to the, the ideal level, uh, give your tithes on Friday before Shabbat. Matzah enter into the Sabbath. <laughs> before you enter into the Sabbath, do it do it this way. I may. So, um, but, you know, we, we I guess practical takeaways is, you know, we've mentioned this several times. It's like a common thing that we've been waving is imitating Hashem. You know, be imitators of God. Amen. Amen. <laughs> um, <clears throat> because in, in 36, it mentions, you know, the Midrash interprets the last phrase of the Pesuk of the verse uh, where it says, and your humbleness, um, which caused you to accord me individual attention, right? It says, in your humbleness, you made me great. The Jewish people praise Hashem's humility. And it goes on all these different accounts uh, where, you know, the Shekhinah waited for Abraham when he tended to his angels. It says, usually a student carries a lamp for his teacher, but Hashem carried the lamp from Israel when he looted them their path with a cloud of, of, of a pillar of cloud by day and a fire at night. So mm. he carried the torch. Mm. Uh, usually a teacher tells his student, wait for me at this place, but he told Yechezkel, go out to the valley where I will be awaiting you mm. and I'll speak to you there. And in the future, Hashem will see, uh, this is really, I love this. In the future, Hashem will see Mashiach to his right and Abraham to his left. Abraham will feel bad about the fact that his descendant is at Hashem's right hand rather than he. But Hashem turns to him and he, and he says, your descendant is at my right and I'm at your right. Ooh. So it's, it's just amazing. And I'd just like to add to that, you know, you know, usually the Talmud washed their rabbi's feet. Yeah. But Yeshua washed his Talmudim's feet. And so this whole idea of of lowering ourselves and limiting ourselves uh, to accrue merits for other people is we're imitating Hashem. This is why, you know, Yeshua says, you, you never knew me because this is what the Torah is about. Wow. You know, this is, it, you know, it's about, it's about love. Love is what? Love is giving. It's not looking at what you can get for yourself. It's giving to um, others. Um, also think about this whole idea of, of sheer, as you know, you know, we think of it as as song and this and that, but you know, mentioned it's it's literally a ordering of all these separate parts, and so kind of a fresh perspective on the halakha, right? Is you have all these separate parts, all these separate things you do in your day, but you you do them all together. It's a certain order that you're giving, and so 
from you doing just very, very basic things is you like in your life, just little actions you take is literally singing a song to a shim in your very actions. Oh, and, you know, it's it's interesting because I'm, I also mentioned that because we talked about a sheer is uh, Shira is is the opposite and antidote for idolatry. And Nachman actually comments on this. He says, by studying the codes which nullify the conflict with the, we're talking about the, the halakhic codes, Jewish codes of law, which nullify the conflict with the evil inclination at its root, a person merits to pray wholeheartedly and sincerely. And besides Telim 119, I will praise you with upright heart, um, with both of the heart, uh, sorry, when I study your just laws. And so he, he talks about the word for upright heart, the vav, is spelled with two vavs indicating the usual one instead of the usual one, which is one vav, implying both inclin- both of the heart's inclinations. Nice. And so through the study of the Jewish law, you know, there's this whole idea of, of rectifying the evil intention and heretical thoughts that we have inside of us. And so this is our, our sheer, this ordering of all these separate little things that we may find strange or unusual, you know, or maybe we might look at it as unnecessary, but it's all part of the song. Of that we sing the shim, and on that note, you know, I'd like to touch back on <laughs> no, what we yeah, oh, man, I didn't even mean that. That was an unintentional pun. That was free. Um, <laughs> no, but you know, I'd like to just you know do a little share uh, share here share here a little song, um, since we're talking about share in this Say whole half towards the share, right? Yeah, I'm 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 gonna sing. You're gonna share you're gonna sing with along. Us? Yes, I am. Um, I, I appreciate if you would go along with me. I think you'll find it very familiar um, because I need you to, your voice to cover mine, mostly. <laughs> uh, <laughs> well, so, sheer. Also, <laughs> yes, sheer, right? So I'm shearing this with you. No. <laughs> so this is the last verse of our half Torah, verse King and performs kindness for his anointed one, David, and his seed forever. Oh, um, and so this is the, this is really the, towards the ending of the Birkat uh, Hamazon. You know, what we say, if you have an all-sized piece of, of bread, you, you say this. Also, the halakha for Ashkenaz and Sephardic custom is matzah during this season of love and bread for both both. Uh, uh, both customs, you say Birkat Hamazon, you say Hamatzi over it, you say Birkat Hamazon after it. Come on. Um, so, just ending with that, like ending with that, that sheer that we could take on a practical level and, you know, you kind of look at that, just a little insight into that. Uh, you have four people, or I should say, four people and a group of people who composed each um, section of the prayer. You have the first blessing, composed by Moshe, you have the second blessing composed by Yehoshua, Yeshua. You have the the third blessing composed by David and Shlomo, right? 
The father and, then and you, son is one. <laughs> yes. <laughs> you know, and the, and the rabbi and the Talmudim, Moshe and Yeshua. Mm. Right? Mm. And then the fourth blessing was composed by Chazal. And, you know, if you take these four letters, uh, take these four letters, right? Mm-hmm. You have the Mim from Moshe, the Yud from Yehoshua, you have the Dalit from David, the Shin, the Shin from Shlomo, right? And then you have the Chet from Chazal. Yep. And really, you, what you have there is, and in, in saying these four blessings, right? These four blessings, that Dalit in the middle, the gematria of four, right, for David. Right. Right? Those four blessings bring forth the men, the shin, the yud, and the chet. Bring forth Mashiach. Mashiach, Mashiach. Mashiach, Mashiach. Oh, oh. <laughs> and so, Love it. you know, saying the Birch Amazon is uh, nothing to take lightly. You're literally, you're literally calling out the Mashiach to come forth and bring us, gather us from the four corners of the world. Can you hear that tone? I mean. Man. All right. Guns away now. And Adonaiim Lokle Alam Vayed Baruch Abba Vishem Adonai. Baruch Ata Adonai Eloheinu Menakaolam. Zur Ko Haolamim Zadik Beko Hadorot. Hael Haneeman Haomer Veose Hamdaber. Um Kayem Shekol Dabarav Emet Vazerek. Neeman Atahu Adonai Eloheinu Veneemanim. Devarecha vedavar echad midvareka akor lo yashuv. Recham ki el melek neeman verakaman ata. Baruch ata adonai hael ha neeman. Or hael ha neeman bekol devarav biskut mashiach keshua. Amen ve amen. Amen. Well, Haksameak Shalom Pesach. This is Summer Man and Hasis Buzz with the Haftarah Get You Some. Sending y'all a shalom and enjoy the rest of Pesach. And may you cross over the Yamsuf and head to Har Sinai. Amen. Shalom.